Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to session 96 of Selling the Couch. So my voice is a little bit more deeper and a little bit more bassy. I've been fighting this bug for the past week, but I seem to be getting better. My wife is like, uh, I don't even recognize your voice sometimes. So it's been kind of cool to have a deeper voice. But anyway, hope you're doing well. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. Today's conversation is one that it's been on my mind a lot recently, which is breaking the mental barriers of being an entrepreneur. And my guest is Joe Muirhead. Joe is a rehab counselor out in Australia, but she also helps now helps some um, health professionals grow successful practices and also create practices that are conducive to the lifestyles that we all want. And Joe and I have connected a couple of months now. She's part of the Selling the Couch community. She's produced just some wonderful pieces. And I wanted to have Joe on talking about this because Joe has over 20 years of experience now in working with clinicians and just being a rehab counselor. And I just thought, what a great person to share some of this wisdom. So more specifically, we are covering a range of things. Some of them are, you know, I just asked Joe, I said, you know, you've coached so many clinicians over these years. And what would you say are the three biggest mental roadblocks that clinicians run into as they become small business owners and as they start practices? And then more specifically, How do they actually work through and how do we overcome some of those mental barriers that we definitely face? And then we're talking a lot about this intersection of perfectionism and fear. I feel like these two topics have come up a lot recently, but I know that this is something that I struggle with a lot. And I know that this is something that a lot of colleagues struggle with, which is when we become small business owners, we simultaneously have a lot of fear whether things will work out the way that we envisioned. And a lot of times, because many of us are just high achievers and we've always done well, there's always this perfectionism side that can definitely kick in and that really deters us from taking actions and steps that we should, or it delays us for a significant amount of time from taking those steps. This is just a great conversation if you struggle with a lot of the mental hurdles of being an entrepreneur and being a private practitioner. So we'll get right to it. So here's my conversation with Joe Muirhead from joemuirhead.com. Hi, Joe. Welcome to Selling the Couch. 
Hey, Melvin. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's great to be here today, tonight, somewhere around the world. It's midnight in Australia and you're a trooper. Oh, thank you very much. I had some help. Uh, your previous Australian guest, Kath Cleveland, and I had a bit of a chat this afternoon. So we're giving each other some ideas and she was chatting to me at about 9pm saying, you can do this, you can do this. <laughs> well, we'll make sure the conversation's awesome. We're talking about this idea of using evidence. We talk about this with our clients, right? So meaning taking things objectively, seeing things with objectivity as a business owner and letting that impact our actions as opposed to always being guided by emotions, I think, which is so easy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, where I thought we could start is you've coached many clinicians in your career. What would you say are the three biggest mental roadblocks that clinicians often run into? The two massive ones that come up all the time, and this doesn't matter if you're a mental health clinician or an occupational therapist. I mean, I've worked with dentists and chiropractors and GPs. I've even done some work with a hand surgeon. And the thing that comes up for everybody, even though it doesn't feel like it in the moment, is this fear of rejection and this sense that I'm not good enough. And I think that that tends to play out in lots of avoidance. So we get very good at tricking ourselves into busyness or perfectionism or procrastination. And we're very, very smart people. We've got to understand that we're all actually really intelligent people. So we're very good at rationalizing and intellectualizing the barriers that come up for us. Mental health professionals have this added dimension, this added layer that you're so good at counseling and what I call therapizing that we can pretty much make any excuse become legitimate. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shame or blame anybody here. I am the queen of some of this stuff. Like some of the self-talk I've heard heard myself and had to apprehend in the last couple of years, I've just gone, holy moly, Joe, where did that come from? Like, who are you kidding, girl? Right. You're preaching to the choir here. So, you know, if it doesn't resonate for you, it definitely resonates for me. <laughs> So I wanted to dive a little deeper into those. So you said the fear of rejection and the I'm not good enough. So in that, like, as a clinician, how does that fear of rejection usually kind of play out? So the fear of rejection usually plays out in people not, or clinicians not talking about how they help. I think this is a really crucial thing we've got to understand. In, in this day and age, we've got incredibly discerning clients. The people who purchase our services are incredibly discerning. Gone are the days when a doctor would say to somebody, you need to see a therapist or an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist. And the client goes, who should I go and see, doctor? Oh, please let me take that recommendation. They'll go home. Well, they're probably sitting in the car park and they're Googling our names and going, who is this person and why am I going to let them into my head? So I think we get very good at relying on our process. We get very good at describing our modality. But we're not very good. And what I'm seeing so many people hide behind, we're just terrible at explaining to people how we actually help, how we get you from A to B. So if I was dealing with a massive anxiety issue, I don't really care if it's CBT or ACT. I don't really care if it's hypnosis. I just want to know it's going to work. And we've got to help our clients understand that it's okay for me to say, I help you. It's okay for me as the clinician to say, I actually know what to do to help you through this process. So I think this fear of rejection comes up in that thinking that clients won't like me as a person. And then I think the fear of rejection is if I'm 
letting people know that I'm good at something, then my peers are going to shut me down around that. And I know that we're all very cautious around what our peers will think. This rejection thing around our peers, I think, comes up quite a lot. And we're very, very cautious because we don't want to be seen to be putting other people down by lifting ourselves up. And culturally, some of us have got some real barriers here. In Australia, we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome, which means basically if you tell somebody that you're good, somebody's going to come along and cut the poppy down. So they'll actually actively work against you. They have, which will be the whole of Scandinavia, but the Danes have this incredible social philosophy, which is basically no one is better than anyone else. So as a community of people, you can't be better than anyone else. Breaking through this I'm not good enough stuff, it's not just a personal thing, it's a societal thing, it's a community thing. And I think we've got to get better at saying to each other, you know what, you've done a good job. You know what, you are really good at using EMDR to help people manage that trauma. You know what, you are really good. I remember I was asked to do a website review for a gorgeous lady who just you know popped up in my Facebook messages and I looked at her website and I just went, man, if I ever need therapy, I'm going to ask you to help me. And I just gave her that feedback and she was so taken aback by it because she was expecting pages and pages of critique. And I could have done that, but I was just so in awe of this lady and she made me feel so comfortable and so warm. I was just like, I will travel to wherever you are, which I think is Vail, Colorado. So there's a long way for me. But, you know, I'm just like that. That was such a good thing to do. So this fear of rejection is we put ourselves out there and we're terrified that people are going to say, I don't like you. And I think that what ends up saying to us is I'm not good enough or that I'm not enough. That's so interesting. I was just thinking like when you were talking about this fear of rejection, I kept thinking like part of this journey is owning our voice, right? And owning who we are. Yeah. And I think especially for clinicians, that's so true because what we do is so wrapped up in who we are, right? The work we do. Yes. And we can't escape it. So it's not like we sell a widget. It's not like we're not a surgeon. We don't sew a person back up together. We don't cut a person open, pull out a thing or put in a thing and sew them up and say, see you later. We're actually giving people back control of their lives. And we're so used to being other person focused that it becomes incredibly uncomfortable for us to turn around and say, please shine the spotlight on me for a moment. I just need you to look at me for a moment so I can help you understand how I can help you. Because we go, please put that spotlight on you because you're the person who needs the love and compassion and care right now. If we want to succeed in the information age that we're in at the moment and the age where people are very discerning, we've got to learn to talk to them in a way that they can understand it. So sitting back and letting them make a decision when they can't find us or they have no idea who we are or no idea how we help, how are they supposed to know? We can't be rejected because they just won't know we're there. Right. So at a practical level, let's just say like on a website, right? Yeah. I gave this example of the therapist in Vail. What was it that she said that made you realize, wow, this is so clear, you know, like how did she find her voice in that website? Well, she looked straight at me in the camera, so she knew exactly where to look in the camera. So that was almost like there was eye contact. That was really powerful for me. And I think most of us would agree that video is a very powerful medium. Plug to good old Ernesto there. And then it was like she looked at me in the face and she said, if you are struggling with this issue, then I know I can help you and I would love to help you. So it was more like an invitation 
It wasn't, hi, I'm Jo Muirhead and I have a PhD in how awesome I am and you must come and see me because I'm the only person who can help you. It was very gentle, but it was very certain. And I think that is missing from so many voices. One of the things I really enjoy about you, Melvin, is every time you put something out um, online, it's your voice and there's certainty that comes from your voice. So I feel safe knowing that Melvin is doing the Melvin thing. And I don't have to be guessing what it is you might be doing this week or what you might be doing next week. There's trust there. So certainty breeds trust. So for clinicians who are going, how do I apply this in my day-to-day you know, activities? Be you. Be all of you all the time. Don't try and hide behind a veneer of ethics and professionalism, but at the same time, be ethical and professional. But you can't hide behind that stuff. People will see straight through it and they don't want to know you. They really don't. That's what they get in a hospital. Right. Thank you, Joe, for saying that. You know, I truthfully think this is something that I have struggled with, which is I think definitely when I first started STC, I was much more like rigid, you know, and uncertain. So what would you say to someone that may be listening and they know you know, they're hearing, like, put your authentic voice out there, but they're scared, you know, because I know I was scared and I was scared of that rejection. I was scared of just being my goofy, like, self, you know, <laughs> goofy, slightly nerdy, you know. The first thing I want to say is everyone's scared of this. So we're actually scared together. So let's acknowledge that. I get scared. I've been asked to do a presentation on a new program that I've built. It's around chronic fatigue. And the first thing I did was went, yeah, that's really awesome. And then I went, holy crap, what if they don't like me? It happens really quickly. So being scared is normal and you're going to feel scared, especially if you're doing stuff you've never done before. It's actually the way our brain has been created. (laughs) Funnily enough, it's to keep you safe. So scared is going to come up. That's a little bit of neuroscience there. What I encourage people to do is take the smallest positive step you can the smallest positive step you can. So if it is something as simple as saying to people, my name is Joe rather than I'm a rehab counselor. So just start with introducing yourself by your name, not your job title, because you're a whole person. And then how about you start a conversation with somebody that doesn't focus on their identity around their work, but on something else. So I love cricket, which is going to be hilarious because most of your audience won't know what that is. It's a sport out of England. It can last for five days and there can be no results at the end of five days. It's like chess. There's tea breaks as well. (laughs) There are lots of tea breaks. Yes. (laughs) So I, during cricket season, that's usually the thing I'm talking to people about. And I'm a woman and I enjoy cricket and that's kind of weird. So it's like, that's a bit quirky and unusual, but it's me. I also love coffee. So I'm easy to talk to about coffee all the time. Coffee is my go-to thing when I'm feeling nervous. So if I don't know what to talk about, I'll talk about coffee. So having a few go-to things to talk about is probably useful too. Right. And so like at a practical level, it sounds like even when it translates to whether it's like a Psychology Today profile or Good Therapy profile, whatever it is, or a website, there's an element I think sometimes we forget is that we forget our common humanity, right? And it's those elements like, you know, I love cricket or I love coffee. Those are good things to potentially put on a website as long as it, it makes sense, right? Like, yes. I don't know. This might be an abstract question. So what is that line like between too little versus too much self-disclosure? <laughs> 
Well, the way I got around that is my son is now 16. And since he was 14, he's had his own Facebook profile. I know, you know, he was too young, but it happens, people. And he was very, very good at using social media. If I'm happy for him to read it, then I'm happy for the world to know. That for me felt like a good way of knowing how I would want the world to see me. I don't post a lot about the horrible crappy days that I'm having. I will say that I have them. I can talk about it in the moment. But you know what? People don't want that in their in their news feeds. They don't need to know that on my website. And I think we've got to be really careful that we're not in the middle of stuff. We can still go through stuff and still own our humanness. You've got to be careful when it comes to polarizing. So there are lots of schools of marketing that will say you need to polarize your market. So be very, very certain and very strong and very opinionated. Well, that's awesome for people who are really strong and really opinionated, but not everybody's like that. People are going to take offense. If people want to find offense, they'll find a way to find offense. Your job or my job or anybody's job is to not offend yourself and be really quick with an apology. They're not hard. Right. I love the idea of having a model, right? Like someone that we resonate with, would they be proud? Like for me, I think about like my family, my parents, you know, my grandparents, like the things that I write, you know, would that bring them honor? Would that bring them respect? And I love that idea of modeling. Yeah. So I've written a very powerful blog piece about being a liar and a fraud, which talks a lot about my family of origin and my upbringing. And and I actually spoke to my dad about it before I published it because I wanted to make sure that he was okay because he features quite heavily in it. And he is one of the people on the comments who's going, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for writing this. I'm like, wow, wasn't expecting that. It's amazing. We'll see if we can link to it here in the show notes. One of the things you said earlier was like a lot of times this I'm not good enough. There's this intersection between that and perfectionism and fear. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Like, let's talk about that intersection of perfectionism and fear and how that really hinders the clinicians and the people that we're really meant to be. Well, if you're completely paralyzed and can't do anything, chances are that's the intersection that you're in. And if you keep going over and over and over the same thing. So the way it tends to turn up, perfectionism will turn up in a blog post that you have written and edited and written and edited 40, 50 times without getting any feedback, thinking that in the editing process, you might find that one word that is going to make all the difference. People do that with website copy. People do that with putting up a Facebook post, their very first Facebook ad, going to a networking meeting and you know being terrified of saying the wrong thing to somebody so they don't say anything, which is not the point of networking events. You actually need to talk to people. <laughs> or you know, not wanting to get your systems in your practice. So even like your letterhead or your documentation, you spend all this time and energy researching your logo design and making sure it fits on the page and it looks awesome here, there and everywhere. It's great to have a standard of excellence, but I don't think we can have a standard of perfection. And I understand for clinicians where this comes from. Now, we're all in the risk management industry. We taught from a very, very, you know, immature stage and immature, I mean, by young and inexperienced, that we're managing risks all the time. So clients come to us and we're constantly looking for the risks. We're constantly, and it doesn't matter what discipline you are, you're always looking for the risk. Is that person going to fall over? Is that person going to jump off a bridge? I mean, that sounds a bit extreme, but we're so good at managing the risks. 
for us in a lot of clinical settings, if we get it wrong for our clients, there are really big implications, really big implications. So I get where the desire to be perfect comes from. But perfectionism, we need to breathe and actually become educated on things like how we write our clinical notes, what we do in the issue of a subpoena, what is your policy going to be around somebody who's threatening to harm themselves or others. So you can just take that pressure off because you're not going to be perfect in the moment. You're actually just going to be yourself and you're going to do the right thing because that's how you've been trained. So people who take the step out into private practice need to understand that you can't line all your ducks up in a row before you start. It's so funny because, you know, as we're recording this, like I'm going through this process of jumping back into private practice and I'm trying to like set up all these ducks in a row and I'm like, this is so overwhelming. And then I had this thought this morning. I was like, Melvin, remember when you started STC? Like part of it is just taking the leap and trusting that, you know, that stuff will evolve over time. And it genuinely will. When I started in my private practice seven, eight years ago, I don't even do the same work I was doing back then. And I'm grateful for that. I have a team of seven clinicians. I have a very, very enterprising, industrious, fabulous life. I was coming out of an incredible place of horrible burnout where I'd been, you know, tortured at work and my life just looks so different. So like we have different developmental stages in our life, when you start your private practice, it's your baby. But by two or three years down the track, it's going to be acting like a toddler and then it's going to become a preschooler and then it's going to become, you know, we've got developmental stages. So if you think you're going to have all your ducks lined up in a row so that you can launch, chances are the very next day something's going to come and hit you from left field that you weren't expecting. Sorry, but it's just what happens. Yeah. And well, I mean, this is something I've learned as well is the overwhelming majority of us, we have the resilience and the the talent and the ability to take something that we didn't expect to happen and still figure it out, you know? Absolutely. We hold that space for our clients. Like we are entrusted with this. Our clients go, I trust you, Melvin, to hold this space for me while I get it together. And we don't trust ourselves. Whoa. There's a bit of a disconnect there. And just because you haven't done something before doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it the first time. The very first day you went to university or college, you were not a proficient counsellor. You had to learn. So going into private practice and being self-employed, being a business owner, engaging in this journey of entrepreneurship, you actually need to learn. You've got some new muscles to exercise here. So be excited because you, you actually know how to succeed in learning because you've got a degree. You actually know how to learn. So be that's the evidence part, Melvin. Yeah. Well, no, I, I wanted to talk about that because, you know, we had talked about you have this wonderful resource, which is called the Book of Evidence. And I think I wanted to hear more about that because it's just, it's such a practical tool, right, to help yeah. with this. That's why it was designed. It was actually designed for my rehab clients. Um, so I work with people who are coming out of a really major health event and they're disconnected from work. So sometimes they need some re-engineering and what type of work can I do now that I've had this health event? I've got chronic pain, chronic fatigue, post-cancer, lost my legs, lost my back, whatever. And I was noticing that everybody was so focused on what they couldn't do anymore. I used to be this person. I used to be able to do this. So I just started grabbing notebooks on my way into sessions with people and go, let's just write down all the things you've had to learn to do since you've come out of hospital. 
So if you've learned to walk, you've learned to talk, you've learned to eat, you've learned to communicate. For some people, it was that. And we just developed this great big long list. I'm going, so that's the evidence. That's what tells me you can do. So I don't want to hear any more of this stuff. Now, please understand that I, in these I'm not the therapist. My role is quite different. So there are other people in this team helping these people. So I can go back to them and go, huh, major adjustment issues about not being a dad. Can you help them with that? So I was creating so many of these handwritten books that I was actually literally getting scissors, pens, glue, and sticking them together. And that became tedious. And I realized that the more people I was coaching in terms of building their practice or helping them get through an issue in, in their own personal development, that this way of collecting evidence, I just started to say to people, you need to put that in your book of evidence. Look at what you've achieved. So it's a leather-bound book. It's supposed to be small enough to fit in a glove box, in a small bag. It's not a massive, great big journal. It's intimate. It's supposed to feel like something you want to hold. At the moment, they smell divine because it's leather and it, they're, and they've been handcrafted from this really gorgeous family in the Philippines where we actually help support a family in the Philippines through the creation of these books. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they're all handmade. Every single one of them is handmade. And on one, so if you open up the pages in the book, one side is blank. So if you've got a card or an email you want to print out or a picture you want to draw or a sticker that someone gave you, you can stick it in the book. And then there's lined pages where you can write a little story to yourself. So the whole point of this is the days that you feel like you're in a funk or you feel like everything's, you know, that someone's pulled the plug out of your energy or you've just, you've received a nasty letter or you're feeling really hurt by something, you can just pull out this book and go, hey, I've done some cool stuff. And that's okay. You're not relying on the external validation of other people. You actually can take some of this energy inward and go, I'm actually okay. I've actually done stuff. And and for practice owners, the first thing I get them to put in here is I know how to learn and I know how to learn how to do things. Because we forget that some people have been through six years of university to become qualified, and then you expect to be an expert in private practice, like expert as a business owner. Dude, come on. You're good, but you're not, not that good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how the book of evidence came about. And then I've had coaches buy them for clients and people buy them for family members. I've given them to my grandmothers, and we sit down and we do some oral history, and I get to write in their books for them. That's a great legacy tool for me. So I'm being a bit selfish there because I've asked for them back. <laughs> <laughs> And most of my clients who start working with me will get a copy and I use it as a tool and, and everyone starts to get encouraged about it. Even in the closed community, someone will put up a comment in our Facebook group and, and somebody else will jump on and go, you better print that out and put it in your book of evidence. So it's, it's now become like new language as well. It's permissible for you to feel good about something, which is kind of the change I wanted this to make, which is cool. That's really amazing. We just uh, need a hashtag now for it. <laughs> Book of this one is called Book of Evidence. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Joe, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm just so grateful that we've been able to connect and so grateful for the work that you do in the world um, helping our field. Thank you. I'm really grateful to be connected with people like yourself and inspired by seeing what people are doing and encouraged that the future generations or the new generations, they want to take what I've done or people my age have done and they want to make it better. And it's like, what can I do to help? How can I help you make it better? I personally think that private practice is the way we're going to change healthcare, but that's a whole nother podcast and we can do that another day. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> what are some of the ways that folks can get in touch with you? 
I have a website, which is jermuahead.com, and it's got resources and fun things on it and a bookshelf and information about how you can work with me or get to know me better. I have a Facebook page, which is jermuahead. Interestingly enough, I have a LinkedIn profile. They're probably my three favorite ways of people getting in touch with me. I do have an Instagram account, but I don't use it very often, and I doubt you'll find it very inspiring. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to link to to those and then definitely link to the book of evidence. Great. I appreciate that. Thank you again. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joe. And more than anything, I hope that it motivates you, that it inspires you, no matter what season of private practice that you're in. You know, as I was doing this interview with Joe, I try to check myself and to see how I'm feeling as I'm conducting these interviews. And when Joe was talking about that a lot of clinicians struggle with that fear of rejection, I was like internally raising my hand because if I'm honest with myself, this is something that I have struggled with just in my life throughout the STC journey. And I even notice it now as I jump back into private practice. I have these ideas for things that I want to do in the world. And within about four seconds of that idea, I usually have this counter idea of, oh, that's not going to work or, you know, no one's going to like that. For me, hearing this conversation and just conducting this interview with Joe was empowering for me. And I think it was normalizing for me that I'm not the only one that struggles with that. So I hope if anything, my words encourage you to know that you're not alone on this journey and that even if you struggle with those things that many of us do and that you're not alone. Joe mentioned a number of resources, and you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session. And Joe mentioned a number of resources. You can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number nine six. Also, Joe mentioned her book of evidence, and I encourage you to check that out. You know, sometimes I feel like we overcomplicate things, and I love the simplicity of the book of evidence. So, if you're someone that really struggles during those hard times of being an entrepreneur and you have those fears and doubts, the book of evidence is something where you can start to write down all of the successes that you've had so that you can reference those, especially in periods where you don't feel the best about yourself and things aren't going the way that you envision. Again, you can order the book of evidence on Joe's website, which is again at joemuirhead.com. As we wrap up, I wanted to take a moment to thank you if you've attended a previous podcasting workshop with me. We have now had, I think, over a little over 500 people now that have attended these podcasting workshops, which has been really amazing. If you have been thinking about launching a podcast and just want to just learn or just want to learn some more information, you can find information at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. It's an absolutely free workshop. It's online. And the next one is actually on the 26th of October, 2016. If you happen to be listening to this way down the line, I'll likely have these workshops. So you can again find that then when the next workshop will be at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And thank you again for taking the time to listen. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.